everyone, and welcome back to Making Space for Place, a podcast where we talk about place-based learning and education. In our episode today, we really wanted to put the focus on incorporating place within different cultural and geographical contexts, and to do that, I have some wonderful guests here to talk about their thoughts and experiences. Between all five of us, we represent experiences in rural, suburban, and urban contexts. With me today is Jabelle Bowens, Ella Hotchkiss, Samantha Hirsch, and Charlotte Miller. To start off our third episode, I thought a recap of what we have learned in our previous two episodes would be helpful to our listeners and our guests to see how far we have come on our journey to understand place in the classroom on a deeper level. Some of the things we have learned so far are not many people know about place-based learning and teachers place a strong importance on school community relationships. Some reasons that place-based learning may not be well known are that people do not recognize that what they are doing in their classrooms is actually place-based learning and sometimes there's a lack of follow-through on place-based learning ideas within school districts. We've learned that it is supposed to be incorporated into what you're already teaching, and it is not a new curriculum. One of the biggest things we've learned is it takes time to incorporate these ideas into practice, and the biggest connection we've made so far is that students learn best when they find a connection to themselves in what is being taught. So when thinking about place across geographical and cultural contexts, I'm wondering what sort of things that you are doing in your classroom to address student learning that may not be so obvious to others in different contexts. I know for my my choir uh, co-workers, finding songs that they like um, is really critical to having a a good rehearsal (laughs) uh, and a good performance. Um, You know, there's a time and a place for everything. I think that those students learn that and in choir and in band and piano class orchestra. Um, and that's something that I don't think people think about that often. It's like, oh, let's just shove a choir piece in front of them and they'll learn it. Um, and trust me, they will fight back, <laughs> you know, uh, if they're not really feeling it. Um, but that's something that's really critical to making sure that uh, our students buy into what we're trying to do uh, in our building. And it goes for honestly any any project, any play that the building has put on, uh, something that the community is going to like that they've heard of before, something that they can grasp onto, uh, and want to come and see the performances at our at our school. I think again, something that you know we take for granted, but it is it's very critical that we find something that our students can relate to. And kind of um, along with that, I've realized so working with ENL kids and. All of my current students are um, Mexican. And so just like finding things to connect what I'm trying to teach them with stuff that they might know already. So like, for example, I'm trying to explain what a legend is. So I'm like, so, you know, like La Llorona. And they're like, oh yeah. And then they go off on this whole thing, but they know what I'm talking about. And I've also found the value of like using examples of stuff that they know. So if I'm, I don't even know, I can't think of an example exactly, but some like vocabulary word that I'm going to relate to like going to Walmart or going to like McDonald's because they do that regularly, but I'm not going to say like, you know, like when you go to the mall, because they probably don't go to the mall very often if they even do. So just kind of really realizing where your students are coming from and what is familiar to them so that you can make those connections to what you want them to learn. I 100% have to agree with Ella on that. Um, Meeting them where they're at, right, is like the big 
big thing, I guess. Um, like my, my fourth grade boys love Pokemon cards. So we made ads for Pokemon cards to show what important information was. Like we can rate things in difficulty based on, you know, like if you won this Pokemon battle, like how difficult would the Pokemon be? Like that's how we rate some of the work that we have to do in class or like, um, meeting them where they're at also in terms of like how they're doing in gen ed. Like one of my girls did a chosen word poem based on her character because they were working on character traits in class. So it's really like, I've, I guess like going off of what Ella's saying is like trying to find the place that like what I need to teach them and what they know or want to know meets is like the sweet spot. And it doesn't always happen. And sometimes it goes down in a ball of flames, but when it happens, the stuff you get out of it, amazing, like incredible work. You know, I, I think back to when I was uh, in elementary school and middle school, and I, I think things are getting better in regards to teachers, curriculum, uh, you know, trying to reach the, the students out of the test score. Um, and I, I mean, I've, I'm seeing it maybe just now that I'm a teacher, but, uh, you know, I don't recall my teachers trying to, you know, relate to me and trying to ask me questions about places that I would go shopping, for example. Um, I, I think that that you can still show that there's comprehension through making those references that the, the kids know. I think that's, that might be a turning point for them. I was just thinking, um, you know, as a, as a reading teacher, I think a lot about identity and I do work a lot with students who are learning English. Um, I have a student who is from Haiti. Her family's from Haiti. Um, I have two students whose families are from Mexico. So I have a nice blend and, and I love that. But then I all, I, you know, I think about when I'm selecting you know, literature or just text for class, you know, I, so I grew up um, in a rural district about 45 minutes east of Rochester. It's in Wayne County. It's called North Rose Wolcott. Nobody knows where that is and that's okay. But um, <laughs> so it's, it's very much like SOTUS, but it is way less diverse. Um, SOTUS has always been the, probably the most diverse um, district in that county just with agriculture and things like that and, you know, kind of being close to 104. So we have a lot of diversity there for such a tiny rural district. But, um, you know, growing up in North Rose Wilkett, um, didn't see that on a daily basis. Um, you know, not even very many Black students, which has changed. But just having been part of the like overwhelming majority of, you know, I'm a, I'm a white student in this rural district and we're reading different books in English class. Those books, those characters always looked like me and had the same sort of backgrounds as me. And I never really thought to question that until I started teaching in the RCSD 14 years ago. That's where I started out. I started out at the very nicely called Children's Detention Center. It's the Juvenile Detention Center for the county. And um, my my first job was there um, pushing in doing ELA work. And, you know, here I am in a classroom of students who are mostly Black or Latino. And I'm thinking, wow, everything I grew up reading 
doesn't reflect these students at all. Why would they want to read the things that I have that I know and that I would want to use? So I felt like I've had to do a lot of work to really broaden my experience as just a person in this world. And as a teacher, I feel like it's a really important thing that we become more worldly so we can pass it on to our students. Um, but I'm always trying to think of ways to like, you know, how do I capitalize on the diversity here in my school district? How do I reflect my students' identities in the texts and things like that that I choose? Because, you know, I, I had that experience where I didn't even think twice about that, reading different texts as a student. Um, and it's so much of a, it is such an important, just vital part of one's education. And I think it all starts with like the things that we're reading in the classroom. So um, I'm always looking for <laughs> stuff that touches on identity, especially the marginalized identities. Um, you know, and especially as we get populations of students who come in, um, you know, whether they're in the LGBTQ community or, you know, they're coming from out of the country, they're coming in as you know, immigrants or migrants, and they'll, you know, they'll come, sometimes with SOTUS, we get students who will come for the fall, and then they take off and they go to Florida, they follow the crops, and we'll see them next fall, which is a really unique and, and difficult and impactful experience. So we have a lot of different identities, different types of identities where Ella and I both work. And um, I think that's something that teachers always have to be extremely aware of. And when we don't have a certain background, I think that's a really good opportunity to ask students, you know, like, hey, I would love to learn more. Let me tell you, I've gotten some of the best food of my life with students' moms making me favorite dishes, Trace Leche's cakes. Like, it's been great. So I know I've done a good job if someone at home is baking for me and bringing it in and it's like a family recipe. So I'm always like, bring in food anytime. Let's eat this. Talk about it. Where did you get this recipe? Things like that. But always looking for opportunities to learn more about students' different identities and trying to reflect that um, in my pedagogy and then also in the, the text and materials that I present to students. I'm a little curious. I know we, we've been at this for a while, but just about people's experience either living in the school community or not living in the school community and how that's impacted your relationship with your students. I actually, so my students really are obsessed with McDonald's. I have this, so three fifth grade boys and they just, and so I was telling them where my, I was trying to describe where my apartment was and we were, it was this whole big thing. And they were like, oh wait, you live in an apartment, not a house? Um, anyway, it was just this whole thing. And anyway, it's no, it's an apartment and a house, whatever. And they're like, oh, you live so close to McDonald's. Do you like walk to McDonald's? And I'm like, no, but they were like, they knew, they knew where I live because we looked it up on like Google Earth and they're like, oh yeah, like I go to Wiggins there. And so it was just like, even though I'm, even though I'm like 20 minutes outside of the school, community proper I guess they like still know where that is and I'm like oh like we have this touch point now so anyway so that's been kind of interesting for me to make that connection so I'm just kind of curious like what what other people have experienced so I do I live maybe 10 minutes from my school um I would say the biggest thing is like I I kind of feel like I'm always on like 
tip top grade A behavior wise. Cause I see my students everywhere. <laughs> I see my students. I see my coworkers. I'm like, I, I know who you are. I know who you are. Or like, they'll be like, so I got, I ended up like buying a used car. Right. And my students are like, Oh, I know your car. Like I saw it here. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So you know this about me. And I didn't know that you knew this about me. Um, but I think for them though, like you being a fixture of your community and like a person existing in your community makes you so much more relatable, like makes you so much more like, I don't know if relatable is the right word, but if you can talk to them about the community they exist in, and you understand it and you're like a part of it, whether maybe you don't live directly in it, but you're a part of it still. I think they feel a little more comfortable with you because you kind of, again, it's like you kind of meet them where they're at. Like, this is their community. This is where they feel the most comfortable. This is their home. And so if you're a part of that too, and you can say like, oh, I went to Target this weekend. And they're like, I went to Target this weekend or something like that. Like they see you more as a person. And I think that connection grows because it's less like, oh, my teacher lives in the school. You know, like some kids still do <laughs> leave and more like, oh, you know, like she goes to tops too. And I think they just find it easier to connect with you because you feel more real to them. I can see that going both ways. Um, I, we live in the city. We own a house here in the city. And um, my husband teaches all the way in Penyan. So he has like an hour drive. It's crazy. Um, and, you know, I started out teaching in the RCSD. Um, but then I got hit that year that they laid off 400 staff members. <laughs> so, um, you know, I was like, wow, I don't, that really sucks. I really love it here. I want to live here. We do, we, you know, we bought a house here. Um, but when the opening for my current school district hit and I, you know, I took it, I ran with it. Um, and it was at a time where it was kind of tricky to get a teaching position, unlike right now. <laughs> um, so, you know, we live like, I, I live 35 minutes or so away from SOTUS and I enjoy having that separation. I also, really value, um, you know, knowing the community outside of just the school building, because I don't think I'd feel like a very authentic figure to them if I didn't have a good grasp of, you know, the local businesses or different community members that they see or the community center, um, things like that. So I am very outside of the school hours active in the community there as well. We do an after school 21st century program and like I do a couple Dungeons and Dragons groups. We do those at the library sometimes. <laughs> My highlight of the week, honestly. <laughs> um, so I, I do feel like wherever you are, wherever you choose to settle down and live, it is really important that you're still active in the community in which you teach. But I think you also have to go with your comfort too. Like you said, you know, you feel like you're kind of walking on eggshells when you go out in public, like you're going to run into someone you either have in the classroom or you know, your, your manager, like your principal, stuff like that. I'm not about that. So <laughs> I don't live directly in the town. Um, but I do feel like I put in my time outside of just the school building and the school hours to be very much a part of, you know, students activities outside of that. So returning to our text edited by Eckert and Alsop, we see community involvement coming up again and again. Jeff Spank discusses the importance of being a face in the community, not just a name. 
Kendra McPheeters-Neal found that being involved in the community and its events, not just school-related events, is essential for effective teaching. Both these educators support being involved in area events, which connects to what Charlotte and Sam shared in this episode. You don't necessarily have to live in the community to be a fixture, because there are ways to know your community, even if you don't live there. The bottom line is that knowing and being a part of your school's community, no matter your context, is essential for effective teaching and the implementation of place-based literacy practices. Thanks so much, Ella. Throughout these three episodes, we have gained much more insight into how we can make space for place within the classroom. From learning about how teachers see place already, to diving into ideas across disciplines as well as context, I think we have some great new ideas to put into practice. A few of the big takeaways that I have found throughout these discussions and the research we observed are putting the student's experience first is always going to be beneficial. Utilizing the community culture as well as people and resources are going to make the curriculum you are teaching more student-centered. Thank you all so much for coming along on this journey with us and thank you to all of our guests who have helped us to grow in our knowledge of place.